I've traveled. I find so many times he's carried me through. And if there's one thing that I've learned in my life, my Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he says he will do. Every morning his mercy Brother Spurgeon can come up and rap for us John 3.16. You guys want to see that? I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. All right, Brother Spurgeon, if you would come up at this time. We'd appreci- yeah, yeah. yeah, this time we're for real. Come on up. Okay. Come on, Miss Wonderful. We're going to sing one, two. We were going to sing two. You want to hear that same one again? Very gracious. Praise the Lord. Good to be in Friday night. We're in church. That doesn't mean you're going to get home early. But chances are, it does mean you're not going to do anything that you're going to regret tomorrow. That's a blessing. All right. Let me, uh, let me mention the table out there has got some copies of a book I wrote to reach 
people that aren't coming to church. So that's not you. But you know some. So it's out there. There's, uh, I don't know how many there are. It doesn't matter. But uh, I'll get more if we need them by Sunday. But uh, there's a little box there. I wish I could give them away. And don't steal them because God's watching my box. I I ask him to. That's got my box. And there's gospel tracts out there, English, Spanish. Those are free. And it might be just a thing that someone would uh, read and pique their interest. A lot of people are never going to darken the door of a church till after they get saved. That was me. I got saved in the county jail. You're going to hear about that in a minute. And uh, so I wanted to mention the books. Amen. Preacher said to many things about attention spans. Uh, we used to say, uh, I was with a motorcycle club called the Outlaws, and we used to say outlaws are like children. We're easily amused, but we have a short attention span. That's why we're always looking for something to get into. <laughs> Amen. Uh, here's what I've noticed. Christians are like children, too. <laughs> easily amused, but a short attention span. But I tell you what, if there's anything you could dedicate a little attention to, it would be the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Now, let me say this, too. Now, we have an honored guest with us tonight, Pastor Mike Napier and his wife, Pastor at Bible Believers Baptist Church over in uh, Wheat Ridge. I'm going to be preaching for them next week, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, you know, if you're addicted, we're having a withdrawal program (laughs) over there. You're welcome to come. You can probably find it. Somehow, because this day and age, everybody can find everything. Amen. The feds found me without GPS. Okay, that's a different story. Amen. But uh, we really appreciate you coming tonight and uh, let you know about that meeting. And I don't have any problem whatsoever asking this church. Now, you know we love you, right? I don't have any problem asking you to pray for that meeting next weekend, even if you can't come. And, uh, and pray for that church, because there's not a whole lot of folks that believe like we believe. And say, well, what do you believe? We just, we just believe the Bible. And I don't know why everybody else made it so complicated, but we're going we're gonna to keep it real simple. Now, um, we were going to sing that. What a good song. I'm not falling for it. We, we had a special request. That's why we're going to sing, even though we've already had a lot of great special music. Amen. And, uh, but we've had a request, so, but I decided we're going to sing anyway. So now listen, some of you got notice, and, and, and maybe some of you don't, but it's going to require a little audience participation. And when I said require, it means we're going to take as long as it takes for you to get with it. So, you know, I mean, if you really don't want to be at midnight, you know, try to get with it quicker. All right, follow. And those that do, set a good example. All right, let's try this. Can I get a witness? Are there any believers in this house? Anybody washed in the blood, born again without a doubt? Stand up and testify. Let God be glorified. Haven't we been blessed? Can I get a witness? I feel so powerful. I've got first-hand information. Listen to what God's done for me. 
It's a remarkable transformation from what I used to be. Once I was a losing sinner, I was weak in my spiritual fitness. Despite grace, I became a winner, and that made me an expert witness. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Believers in this house, anybody washed in the blood, born again without a doubt. Stand up and testify. Let be glorified. Haven't we been blessed? Can I get a witness? They are getting with it. I mean, really good. The saints that have gone before us, they were tried by opposition, yet they testified with boldness. They were proud to be called Christian, like them, don't be ashamed. Just live what you profess, stand up in Jesus' name, because you've been called to be a witness. Can I get a witness? Any believers in this house? Anybody washed in the blood? Born again without a doubt. Stand up and testify. Like I'll be glorified. Haven't we been blessed? Can I get a witness? Haven't we been blessed? Can I get a video that can i get like that copy of that to take to the bible belt you know back east and and show them how it's really done i mean i go places where they think they got the market cornered on praise and worship and they couldn't hold a candle to you guys and i'm just the guy to take it and rub it right in their face that would be fun that would be fun for me amen all right thank you mrs wonderful I call her Mrs. Wonderful. Why do you call her that? Because she lives in an RV with me for 25 years. There's a crown for that. It's not in the Bible, but there probably is. Amen. All right, there's the song. There's, oh, there it is. All right, praise the Lord. Let me see. What am I, what are we, I forget what we're doing tonight. We're sharing. We're sharing the love of Jesus. Amen. All right, take your Bible tonight. Go to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, uh, the pastor asked me to give my testimony. And he says, you know, if you feel led, and where I come from, if a pastor asks me, that is led. <laughs> you know, I ask God for direction. You know, when I come into these meetings, I don't get briefings. Uh, well, how could God get the glory if we saw the need to orchestrate every bit of it? That, I'm not, that's not me. That's not your pastor. Uh, we want God to lead, but at the same time, with him knowing uh, the whole scenario around here, his flock, the people that might come, uh, and me coming in cold, if a pastor thinks that that would be a good thing, uh, there's no argument for me. There was no, I don't know, brother. I don't feel comfortable talking. I don't feel comfortable talking about myself. I don't feel comfortable up here in the first place. Whoever saw this coming, man. But, uh, but that's what we're going to talk about. Psalm 40 and verse 1. We're going to try to give some glory to Jesus Christ. Uh, David said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up both out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. Amen. Uh, let me just say, 
Uh, David, you don't make it, you can't make the mistake of thinking David is bragging on his sin or his past life. Amen. Uh, he says he brought me out. Uh, what David is doing is bragging on the one that brought him out. Set his feet upon a rock, establish his going, put a new song in his mouth, things like that. And that's my golden eye. Is uh, we're going to talk about where God brought me from, but I'm really careful uh, not to glorify sin, make any of it sound cool or attractive. It's it's a killer. And so I want to make that real clear. So if you walk out here thinking, "Oh, that's cool," I think I'll go try join the motorcycle gang. You're an idiot. You weren't paying attention. Amen, because I'm not going to glorify sin tonight. Amen. So uh, I like my dear, dear friend. I want to say old friend, but I don't want to offend him because he's old. And so am I. And when we became friends, neither one of us were old. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the battle with Pastor Napier. And if you would, would you pray for the service tonight, my friend? Amen. Thank you, Pastor. All right. Praise the Lord. Let me, uh, you may not know this. Maybe some of you do, or if you've read the track, you got kind of a hint. I'm a motorcycle guy. I'm a motorcycle guy. I'm not a hunter. I'm not a fisherman. I'm definitely not a golfer. I'm a motorcycle guy. Uh, I, uh, I started out innocently enough at 21 years old. I started working at Harley Shops. I always wanted to do that. When I was a kid, growing up in the 60s, what you wanted, a Harley Davidson and or a Corvette. <laughs> we didn't have all these Japanese cars and motorcycles and all that. You know, red-blooded American kid wants a Harley and, because I had them both, a Corvette. Amen. That's just how it was. And I ended up uh, getting the uh, Harley first. And man, that just, you know, uh, got my attention. And I loved it. And I wanted to be a Harley mechanic. And I would hang out at, uh, I'd go to the Harley shop at 8 o'clock in the morning and just hang out till I left at 2 to go to my job, which was uh, in a factory uh, second shift right after I got out of the military. I just would work all day for free just so I could be around the guys that knew the thing, and I would learn and, 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 and listen, and I learned some things. Uh, but the problem is, uh, my military years, I learned some things there too. Now, I was an infantryman and a paratrooper too, and they spent a lot of time, they, a lot of your taxpayer dollars got spent teaching me how to fight. And shoot guns, millions of rounds of ammo at your expense. That's fun. That's cool. And, uh, and so when I got out of the Army, I, I, I got the job at the, at the factory. I'd go to work at the bike shop. But I didn't go home at midnight. I stopped at a local bar. And because uh, I kind of developed a reputation for sticking up for the underdog. I don't like bullies. I never liked bullies. And uh, so I would uh, not put up with that kind of thing. And, and my military skills uh, enabled me to, you know, be pretty successful at it. And, uh, and the word, uh, word got around uh, that I might be a good fellow motorcycle gang member. And uh, some people came and, 
and talk to me, and I checked them out. They thought they were checking me out. I was checking them out because I'm not casting my allegiance easily. And uh, so I started uh, riding with this little group up there in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, we called ourselves a club, a motorcycle club. The federal government called us organized crime. Yeah, because that led to a bigger club. I mentioned the Outlaws, the biggest club on the East Coast. And, uh, and uh, I was in that thing uh, for a long time, 15 years. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, we weren't really a club, and we weren't really organized crime. We were very disorganized, which made us easy target for federal prosecution. And uh, so I've been safe 33 years, but if I was to go to an international border... Uh, I'm going to get reminded of what I was when I was in my 20s and my 30s. And that's no big deal. I mean, I got jacked up coming back from Mexico several times, Canada several times. And the American side, they would run the numbers and, you know, they would, you know, I don't know who they thought they were trying to scare. I am saved on my way to heaven. I know I don't have any warrants. It was no big deal. So I wasn't reluctant. I went to England. I went to Scotland. I went uh, over there and and got a chance to preach, lead some people to the Lord, things like that. I had a good time. And then, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, quite a while ago now, about 15 years ago, I got, a, I got asked to come to southern Mexico to preach a youth camp uh, for a missionary. And uh, my, mom, my wife and I, we'd been on the road, and the kids do then for a couple months. And I said, you guys go down to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Our son was coming back from Iraq, I think the second tour. And I said, I'll go do this Mexico thing alone. And I flew down there, and I, and I got rerouted in Chicago, and I got sent to Toronto. Now, you got to picture this if you got any geography. I'm in Ohio. I'm going to Chicago to take a plane to Mexico City, and they want me to change planes in Canada. That's pretty dumb. I'll tell you what's dumber than that with me saying, okay. <laughs> I just want to get where I'm supposed to be. And uh, so when I got to Toronto, they, they looked at my rap sheet uh, on their computer in Canada now, and this isn't giving me a hard time at the border and sending me on my way. This is like uh, denied entry. Now, the only good thing came of that, you know, they're looking at this computer, and they're looking at me, and they're looking at the computer, and, and uh, I said, look, that's me. I'm watching planes leave. I'm going to miss my plane. I said, look, that's me. But look at the dates. That was like 15 years ago. And uh, that's not me anymore. And I did my time. And uh, now I'm a preacher of the gospel. It got worse then. (laughs) Seriously. And uh, so I gave them all the track gear. And uh, they must be the slowest readers in the world because every plane flew out that night, Friday night, and the weekend the Pope died, as a matter of fact. And... uh, and, uh, and uh, here they come back, and it said, we're denying you entry. And I said, I don't want entry. All I want to do is change planes. And uh, they said, well, there's no more planes going out tonight. And I'm looking at the most uncomfortable row of benches at customs, and I'm hoping they're going to let me sleep there. But no such luck. They came, they came, they brought in a paddy wagon. They came with a couple guys. They took my passport, my Carry-on, my carry-on, all that is was my Bible and my messages. Amen. Because that's the only thing. I don't trust uh, the government. I don't trust the airlines with that. <laughs> I want to keep that close. So they took that too, though. They took everything. I was wearing shoes back then, and they took my shoelaces before they took me to jail. Come on. Do I look like the kind of guy could hang himself with a shoelace? <laughs> 
Uh, no, you got to be kidding. So they come out with the shackles, the leg shackles, and all this stuff. And I'm like, come on, are you kidding me? And we marched through an international airport in Toronto. And, uh, and I'm trying to get somewhere to tell people about Jesus Christ. But the worst part about it, the absolute most embarrassing part about it, was because when we got out onto the curb to the paddy wagon, it was a minivan. I mean, I was so embarrassed. I mean, I had been hauled to Cook County Jail in Chicago in an in a armored car paddy wagon. Yo, real deal. And now they got this old grandpa-looking guy, and they're getting me in the back of a, pad, of a minivan. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> so I got, I got to spend the night in jail, and Friday night are pretty active usually, and, and, uh, but they put me in a cell by myself. And uh, I spent, it felt like all night, but I probably spent an hour complaining to the Lord about how unfair that was because, you know, I've been flying right for 15 years and doing everything I was supposed to do and going everywhere I was supposed to go. And I'm on my way, to, to a long way away, to preach a, a, a youth camp through an interpreter to try to win some people to, to Jesus Christ, and like I've been called to do. And I spent all this time, and I'm just complaining. And, you know, it's really, it's really lonely. The Lord's not answering nothing. He waited till I got done complaining. And then he spoke to me, spoke to my heart. And here's what he said. He said, geez, Spurgeon, this kind of looks like where we met, didn't it? <laughs> and boy, I'll tell you what, I spent the rest of the night thanking Jesus Christ for meeting me in a jail cell before that. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry for complaining. And whatever they do tomorrow, if they send me back to the United States, I'll go. But if they send me to Mexico, knowing that the same thing could happen in Mexico City, I said, I'll go. And my wife, I got her on the phone the next morning, and they're down there at Fort Bragg. And she said, just come home, just come home. And, and I said, listen, I can't just come home. I can't ask to come home. I, I'm a man. i got to look myself in the mirror, and I'm not backing down. So I reported to duty, went down there, 23 people, 16 kids got saved to youth camp, and seven more got saved in the villages. We'd go set up a projector, and we were showing La Luz de la Mundo. <laughs> I, saw, I saw Jack Chick's movie, uh, 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 On the Light of the World, uh, four times in Spanish, and I knew everything they said, and I don't even speak Spanish. Amen. <laughs> la Luz de la Mundo. <laughs> Amen. I know, you're impressed, you're impressed, Amen. It says, he brought me up out of a horrible pit. And, and I look at that, and I'm remembering the horrible pit uh, that I ended up with. It didn't have to do with the motorcycle thing. That was nothing wrong with that. But, but the gang thing, uh, I, got, I got told at 22 years old when I started messing around with these guys, and uh, they said, well, here's how this works. You will spend a, a, a good amount of your life in prison or... You will die young, or possibly both. 22 years old, bulletproof. I can take it. I can handle it. And that's what I did. I said, bring it on. Boy, and I'll tell you what, I got in, and I got all the way in. And uh, in those years with the clubs, over 100 of our guys went to the penitentiary. Over 20 were doing life. 
We had four on death row, two in Florida and two in Kentucky. And this was a horrible pit and the deception of sin will cause you to think you're doing something cool. Amen. In my years with the club, we buried 41 guys. 41 guys. Every one of them died of natural causes. Not one of them was 40 years old. Natural causes was overdosed or shot by the police or shot by a jealous husband or killed in a motorcycle wreck for being high and drunk. And that was just part of the life. One year we had 11 funerals. We were moving all up. And how does that, how does that ever get normal, become normal? I officiated it because I was an officer in the club. I officiated at 13 funerals. As an unsaved man, as a heathen, I, I officiated and, and, and stood over the open grave on the grave at the at cemetery, and I said to him, I said, I'll see you in hell, brother, every time. I was more doctrinally sound back then than some people are preaching in this day and age. Amen? Horrible. Horrible pit. He said, brought me up out there in a horrible pit out of the miry clay. I remember growing up in northern Ohio and in the spring and rain and the, uh, it was farmland and, uh, and uh, the ground would get real soft and, 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 and it would get like my, it was clay so it would get real miry. And if you weren't careful where you walked, you could just sink down and lose your shoe right in the, in the thing. And so I, when I read that in the Bible, it reminded me of uh, miry clay means like things that, Get a hold of you, but don't want to let go. Like gang life. Like drugs. Like liquor. Like pornography. Those things, uh, you get, you dabble with a little bit, you think, no big deal. And it's a bigger deal. Some of us found out the hard way it's a bigger deal than we thought it would be. Even cigarettes. God gave me victory over all this drugs in 20 years at Jack Daniels, and that thinking cigarette was the hardest thing of all. I said, this is the biggest deception of all, because it's legal. Listen, what's right and wrong, what's good for you and bad for you, doesn't have anything to do with the governor or, the, or Washington. doesn't matter if it's legal, if it ain't good, if it's bad for you, bad for you. Amen? So, my problem started long before I got involved with the motorcycle club and stuff. It started uh, even before I bought my first Harley in 1975 after I came out of the military. My problem started as a rebellious teenager growing up in the late 60s. Amen. And like I said, I grew up in a country. I mean, we were way out in the country. Uh, I didn't grow up in the city. I didn't grow up in the mean streets and none of that stuff. I grew up in a country. I had a great uh, mom and dad, saved people, went to church as a kid, like some of you, going through the motions, but never sealed it, never committed, never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Get in the back of my mind, that thick of television's going all the time, talking about all, all the hippies in, in San Francisco and New York and the Vietnam protests on the campuses and, and the Beatles and, the, and Jefferson Airplane, all the music that was going on back then. I'm thinking, man, if I like sell out here as a Christian, I'm going to miss out on a lot of things. And I never got saved. And uh, my parents were hardworking, middle-class people. My dad was a carpenter, and my mother was my mother. 
took her job very seriously. Irish ladies are like that. And, uh, and uh, they wanted me to, like, go to school and graduate. That was neg negotiable. So, yes, ma'am, you know, and I did. And then my dad had this crazy idea because he was, like, paying the mortgage and buying the food. Somebody thought that gave him the right to tell me what to do. And, I mean, I'm 16, 17. I'm going, what? Amen. And uh, he thought I could get a job. My hair got down on my ears a little bit, like was real popular back then. And he'd walk in. He was a carpenter. He had a big alarm. He'd come on, David. And he'd put his, and he'd pick me up out of the chair, and there we go to the barber shop. And I go, this is unfair. This is tyranny. And then he said, uh, we need to talk to you about getting a job. And I went, job? I want a free love, peace, you know. And, uh, and uh, I got sick and tired of it. I'd finished school. Did all right there. But um, I was sick and tired of being told what to do. So I tried to figure out how to get out from under this tyrannical home that I was raised in, and I figured it out. I figured it out. Uh, I joined the Army. <laughs> yeah, I look back and think, you know, rebellion will make a fool out of you. <laughs> I got down to Fort Knox at about midnight, and this guy came to the bus with a drill instructor hat on, and, uh, and when he told us, not to ask, when he told us to get off that bus, he called me stuff my mom never called me more. I heard words before I ever set foot on the ground that I'd never heard in my life. Amen. I, it occurred to me, now I'm like some of you, bless God, I know what I'm doing. I'll never, I started to wonder if I might have made a mistake. <laughs> Next day, they walk us through a Quonset hut, and they've got like three barbers on each side. And uh, I mean, they're like shearing sheep in there. And this was back when the people, there's a lot of hair on the floor. And the guy says to me, the guy says, uh, I'm 18, man. I'm fresh off the farm, you know. And uh, I'm realizing that I'm not near as smart as I thought. And uh, the guy says, you want to keep that hair, son? And I remember thinking, I didn't even know that was an option. I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, hold out your hand. <laughs> what you can catch, you can keep. <laughs> Amen. I remember, I remember going to the barracks that night, and I'm like, I can't believe it, man. It was like a bowling ball. And I'm sitting on the top bunk, and our barracks weren't like dorms, you know. They were open bays, just bunk bed, double rack. And I'm sitting on the top rack, and there's a light bulb hanging uh, every occasionally. There's no furnishings except a footlocker. And uh, I'm looking, and I'm thinking, oh, did I make a big mistake? And uh, I'm looking against the wall, and there's a reflection of this round thing. I don't know what it is, you know, because there's nothing in the room. And I'm looking at it, and I turn around, and I'm going, what is that the reflection of? And I did that about the third time in my peripheral vision. I realized it was moving the same time I was moving, I said, that's my head. It looks like a basketball. <laughs> Amen. I noticed that skinhead thing is back in style. We don't have much of it here, but I see it all over. Amen. And uh, so, like I said, you know what? Somebody said, you grew up out in the country. How were you so affected by the rebellious spirit uh, that was going on back then? And I thought about that, and I'm going to tell you how. Uh, same way uh, people are now. It doesn't matter where you live. 
we pump it right into our homes. Uh, we got people taking the Lord's name in vain in our homes through the television and movies. The people, you, you would never allow a person to come into your house and do that. And then you'll turn on TV and you get so stinking used to it, it don't even bother you anymore. Amen. Movies. I saw Easy Rider when I was in high school. It changed my life. I wanted a Harley. Somehow I conveniently forgot that those two guys got blown off their Harleys in Mississippi by a couple rednecks. I thought, I want to do that. You know, great, great thinking. But I wanted a Harley. I got one. That dream never died. Amen. And then music, I mean, that was moving in, and none of that stuff backed off. None of that stuff lightened up. As a matter of fact, it's gotten worse. Because now you got something we didn't have back then. You got that thinking computer, and now you got it in your hand. Now, let me tell you something. That is, hasn't been a phone for years. It's a computer that you happen to communicate with. Amen. And, uh, boy, the stuff that's getting... We used to preach about television and about HBO and about bad movies. Man, there's so much stuff available on the Internet with the click of a mouse that, that stuff that'll never make it to television. And some of you are dabbling with something you shouldn't be dabbling with, and the Lord brought me here tonight to warn you, you better cool it. You better, Doc drug me to say, you better quit looking at them dirty books, boys. Well, I'll tell you what, ain't dirty books anymore. It's living color. It's high definition. Amen. And, uh, you know, I, I find the whole Internet thing, I'm not on the cutting edge of technology um, uh, by virtue of, you know, my, where I grew up, when I grew up. And uh, now I don't even want to be. I don't even want to be. But I did, uh, I think it's interesting that when they, we first started hearing about it was the WWW, uh, World Wide Web. Now, when I, when I was a kid, a web was something a spider wove to catch its prey. Now, maybe they figured that out, so they changed the name. They changed the name to the inner net. Isn't a net something you use to scoop that fish out of the water with? I mean, none of you are butterfly collectors, I don't think. So now they just say online. Online, online, and a combination of all that stuff still exists, but they all, they're all... Listen, I got a six-and-a-half-pound, beautiful, large-mouth bass I caught in Florida in 1986. Had it stuffed because I never caught a fish that big in my life. It's a beauty. And uh, had it stuffed and then had enough sense to put it at my mom and dad's house so when the feds came and smashed everything they could, they didn't get my eight, nine-point buck or my fish. And now it's above the mantle in the house that I have in, in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Amen? When we start thinking about online, I, I, I walked over one day to that fish, and it's sitting there all stuffed with his mouth open. I said, what was it like that morning you got online with me, pal? Because <laughs> it still led to the same thing, death. Amen. Amen. Now, let me say this. I was a weapons specialist in the military. Light weapons infantry jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. Say, why would you do that? Because there's a time when somebody needs to. And uh, they had a little spirit of adventure, you know. And, uh, and uh, I got an honorable discharge. Uh, my dad was a combat veteran from World War II, infantry. Been a year and a half in the Philippines. And when I was growing up, that an honorable was the only, gener the only discharge you brought home. Whether you liked it or not, you stuck it out. And I stuck it out. 
And um, I got a lot of things I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of. I'm not ashamed that I served my country. Amen? But uh, when I got out at 21 years old, I spent the next 15 years of my life as a professional rebel. My goal in life wasn't to be 70 years old and a federal convicted felon and, and there's, I can't leave the country and I can't own a gun and I can't, I can't go to the gun range and those are the things I was loved to do. I didn't look forward to this. It's just a fruit of a, of a rebellious teenager that didn't want to be told what to do. Take your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 7. Now Paul's writing here, and he says this. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now thank God he's long-suffering, and thank God he's patient, and thank God the hammer don't come down... uh, Every time it probably should. Amen. Thank God he gives us a lot of chances. But at the end of the day, that's a law of God. And if it doesn't come true, if it doesn't get interrupted by his mercy, payday's coming. Amen. And uh, so Hebrews chapter 11 even says uh, uh, concerning Moses that there's pleasures of, in sin for a season. Now, something you guys know here in Colorado, we know about back east, uh, seasons change. Seasons are changing now. What a lovely time to be here. Amen? And, uh, and uh, the season for season of that, that had uh, uh, pleasures of sin uh, came to a screeching halt in October. October, huh? Got an anniversary coming up. <laughs> uh, October 1990, 33 years ago. And, uh, boy, the door came off the hinges. All that stuff you watch on the Internet, that cops and all that battering ram. <laughs> Been there, done that. And they tore the door off, charged in a bunch of cops, a lot of cops. And they had all blue windbreakers on. They all had big letters on the back. FBI, DEA, amen, ATF. It was an ATF warrant. Say, what does all that mean? By the book. It's in the book. Okay, read the book. And, uh and uh, but first, I was hauled down to the federal magistrate and uh, federal building. And when they got done reading my federal drug and weapon charges, the magistrate brought the gamble down and said, no bond. Said, this man is a member of an international criminal organization with the ability to flee to avoid prosecution. And he had us nailed, buddy. We had a plan in place. I could have been in Galveston within 24 hours in Costa Rica, within 12 more, no, no extradition treaty. We had all that worked out, all the money in the world, but you had to make bond to put any of that in play. And that gavel came down, and that magistrate said, no bond, uh, this man is a menace to society. Me. <laughs> I know. At the time... I took it as a compliment. I mean, that's what I worked for. And I said, thank you, thank you. Amen. Actually, I cursed in federal court. Uh, Somebody, the marshal told me later. And uh, take it over to the the, uh, 
to holding, putting federal holding. They put me in a 12-man cell trying to figure out what to do with me, which wasn't a good idea because what you do in lockup is you try the new guy. So they put me in a cell, and, uh, and uh, I was not a happy guy right then. And so they started handing trays in through the slot, and everybody's going to see what the new guy's going to do. So they took, they took everything off my trays in which I was happy because the fight that ensued after that was more fun than that bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios, <laughs> that box was going to be. And so I started knocking everybody's trade down, you know, and there's, and they, uh, next thing I know, the room filled up with cops again. <laughs> and they took me out. And they said, you're a menace to the other prisoners. And I went, thank you. <laughs> Amen. And I got, I got a private room out of the deal. Yeah, didn't have to pay extra or nothing. They just, it wasn't no bars, nothing, just a hole. And I liked it there. It was more peaceful there. And I didn't have to listen to the other guys. But it got a little boring. And after about a week, uh, what you do in jail and lock up in a county is, uh, of course, I was federal, but you, you write a kite. A kite is a note. I'm not asking for a show of hands because some of you may know. But uh, you write down a piece of paper, request to go, request to go to, see a chaplain, request to go to, to, to the infirmary, request to go uh, to rec, request to go to the library, things like that. And so I just write out Spurgeon request to go to uh, the library. And I don't think any of them believed I could even read, so denied. And then uh, Spurgeon request to go to the infirmary, denied. And that went on for about three or four days. And they denied everything. I said, what's up? They said, you're a menace. And I went, I know, so what? <laughs> And they wouldn't let me out of my cell. And now I'm getting bored because you've got to move around inside of a, a, a facility to know what's going on. And, uh, of course, I, you know, obviously I knew other people that were locked up. So I had some communication lines to the street. And uh, they wouldn't let me out. And I took a piece of paper. Now, I don't have bars. I'm rolling it up, you know, and sticking it in that little hole in the metal door. And I said, Spurgeon, request to go anywhere. <laughs> Which is a joke, right? And on Saturday morning, after about a week in the hole, the guy comes and uh, sticks his big key in the door. This is dungeon stuff. They're not electronic like nowadays. <laughs> and he opens that door, it swings open, and it creaks, and he says, uh, Spurgeon, you're going to church. He's got a clipboard. And I said, uh, in no uncertain terms. Can I say it like that? I said, no, I ain't. He said, you got to put in a request, and I have a set up here, and uh, you're going to church. And I said, I'm not going to no blankety-blank church service. And uh, there was a guy in the next cell, and uh, he was the only friend I had, a black guy my age, and uh, he was also in the hole, and he was also going to get escorted to this church service. So they're opening the doors, and he yelled over, he said, what do you got to lose? And that guy had more to do with me getting under the hearing of the gospel straight. And I said in the prison uh, last year, if I ever, when I get to heaven, I'm going to hug his neck for, for influencing me. And he was there in the prison, and now I visit him. Uh, he's still in. 32 years later, I'm out here having the time of my life. He's still locked up. He's going to heaven when he's done. But uh, now listen, my reluctance to go into church, even in that service, I'm 37, almost 38 years old at the time, and my reluctance didn't have anything to do with not believing in God. I believed in God. I told you I was raised in a Christian home. Amen. And besides, evolution... Evolution? I mean, are you kidding me? Amen. you got to be really educated to get stupid enough to believe that. That is so stupid. That defies logic. And the Big Bang Theory? 
Let me tell you something about that. I've blown some stuff up. <laughs> some of it was even in the military. Some of you will get that maybe someday. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, listen, when something blows up, what's left, when the dust clears, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> it ain't a child's face. It ain't a flower. It ain't something beautiful. It's a disaster. So I didn't buy any of that stuff. I believed in God. I just didn't believe God would have anything to do with me. Because like 19 years before, I made a constant decision to turn my back on the way I was raised and the God I'd learned a little bit about, and I wanted to head out there and follow the bright lights of the, of the city, and I didn't understand who controlled all that, but he controlled me. And uh, I, I wasn't going to some church service now and, 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 and get jailhouse religion. I mean, I was raised in an era, era when you do the crime, you do the time. But I went to that service, and I went down there, and in comes some tie-wearing, short-haired, tie-wearing, cop-looking preacher. <laughs> and I'm going, who is this guy? And there's only three of us in service, and I'm sitting there like, <laughs> and he says, uh, uh, men, uh, we're going to see what the Bible says about you. And I could tell by looking at him, he didn't know nothing about me. <laughs> and nothing, he was from a different planet. And he had this big old Bible, and he opened it to Romans chapter 6. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And, uh, and he read a verse. He said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I remember thinking, I mean, I'm going to maintain my cool and everything. I'm staring him down and everything. But, uh, but uh, I remember thinking, wow, for that, as big as that book is, it did not take very long to find me. I mean, all it's sin. I, I, was, I had a Ph.D. in sin. I mean, I worked hard at it. I mean, I wasn't an occasional sinner. I mean, I was working at it. And, uh, and, uh, and you know why we like preaching in jails, in prisons? Because they know they're sinners. It's church people that you've got to convince them they're sinners because they spend all their time comparing themselves to the worst of the worst that gets paraded before you on the thinking television every day, and it's easy to convince yourself, well, compared to them, I'm not so bad. I cheat on my taxes. I drive 100 miles an hour. I do this. And you think, that's not so bad. I got news for you. King James Bible, so hard to understand. The Bible says, all have sin and come short of the glory of God. I looked that up. It means, all have sin. Then the preacher goes over to Romans 6 and says, the wages of sin is death. Well, I knew that. I've been to more funerals than anybody I'd ever met. Amen. Then he goes to Luke 16 and he starts preaching on hell. Amen. I'd heard about hell. I was in church as a kid. Amen? And uh, I just did what most people do. Uh, just pretend it's not as bad as what it says, like uh, highway to hell, party in hell, all that phony baloney stuff that, that Hollywood and rock music is dishing out. Like I said, man, I said uh, 41 guys, I'll see you in hell. Amen? I don't know what we thought we were going to do there, but when he opened that Bible and showed me that it's a real place of torment and flame, he showed me that the book says that it's a place of weeping and wailing. And I'm thinking to myself, there ain't enough people in this jail to make this kid weep or wail. Seriously. 
I mean, that's what I thought. And then he said, a term I'd never heard in my life, he said, gnashing of teeth. Uh, gnashing of weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. I'd never heard that before. But I tell you what, I've seen it. And a couple years before I was locked up, I was in Wisconsin, beautiful, beautiful uh, July day. It's about 10 or 12 of us out riding out to a pond where, I was, where everybody's sober. We had a big gathering, a couple hundred people. And uh, I had about 11 guys with me. And we we're out there on the country just enjoying it. Beautiful day. Car came over the center line. Coming down the road ahead of us, come over the center line. Guy, the woman's driving, arguing with a guy, not paying attention. And I said to myself, that's an accident waiting to happen. And I tell you what, that accident happened uh, sooner than I thought. I look in my mirror as she goes by, and she drifted over and caught the last guy in my group, pushed his, uh, pushed his uh, left leg into the primary drive chain of his Harley. And uh, I looked, I saw the car cut back into her lane, speed away. We weren't going very fast. I broke it down, spun around, got back. Nobody knew what was going on. The guy, last guy, he had crashed, uh, spilled gas. There's, there's flame on his pant legs uh, from spilled gasoline. He's down, and I'm looking at him, and I jumped off my bike, didn't even stop, jumped up, ran over, and grabbed his leg as low as I could, as close to that chain as I could, and I pulled out a bloody stump. And I held that thing, and I tried to cut off that, that, that blood flow in that artery, and I thought to myself, there ain't no way we're out in the country, no cell phones, there's no way. This guy's going to not bleed out. Doing the best I can, blood everywhere, and I'm trying to put pressure on that thing, and I remember looking down at his face, and I'll tell you what I saw. I saw gnashing of teeth. I saw a man in more pain than I'd ever seen a man in, in my life, and I'd seen guys gutted in bar fights. I'd seen people shot multiple times. This guy was in more pain than anybody I'd ever, uh, ever seen, and I remember thinking to myself, I wouldn't want to send spend one second in that much pain. Six years later, I'm in a jail cell, and the preacher's telling me, you die in your sin, you'll spend all eternity in that much pain. Amen? I'll tell you what, he, thank God he told me the truth, but I sure didn't respond when he gave an opportunity, an invitation to get my sins forgiven so that that would never happen. Amen? I'm glad he didn't stop with telling me how bad hell was he. He preached. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. That whosoever, whosoever, believing in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? He preached on, but God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that Christ died on a cross, knowing every detail of our life. He was willing to go the distance, go to the cross, be beaten beyond recognition, tortured, nailed to a cross so that he could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, so that people, you and I, out in the future would have a chance. He gave an invitation, like I say, I didn't respond. I'm a tough guy. I'm not going to let some preacher think he got through to me. I deal with people like that in church all the time. That might be you tonight. Maybe you got invited, and you're, okay, I'll come. Get them off my back. Come here, this ex-biker preach but let me tell you something lord wants to save your soul amen. and you need to let him amen so 
I didn't respond. He gave me a King James Bible on the way out and challenged me to read it. And I did. I had nothing else to do. I had nothing in the hole. And I started reading through it, and I remember some of the verses, Luke, and, and I was looking for loopholes. Yeah, because he said, you die without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And I'm going, well, you know, he's probably exaggerating. And he wasn't. And there were no loopholes. And John 14, 6 says, uh, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, you know, the search could be over tonight for somebody in here that's not saved because there's, o- there's only one choice. And you either make the right choice or you reject it. And you make the right choice, you end up in the right place. And you make the wrong choice and you reject it. And you, you, know, you never get another choice, another chance. Before you take your last breath, you'll end up in the wrong place. Amen. So uh, that guy preached it straight. I looked through that Bible and, uh, and uh, I couldn't get away from two things. Hell was real. I knew I was going to go there. And he said, Jesus Christ died for my sin. My sin. I thought about that for weeks. Day in and day out. My case got worse. They they tagged a fully automatic machine gun to my charge. Now I'm looking at 37 years. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. I didn't even care about that. I was aware if the Bible was true. I was going to spend eternity in hell. Amen? On November 30th, 1990, the anniversary of the uh, the murder of a guy killed behind my house by a rival gang, I became aware that God had given me another chance. And I look back now, and I know it's because I had a praying mother. And that's why I was no bonded, and that's why I never couldn't get away from the message that I needed to hear so bad. And her prayer didn't get me to Jesus, but her prayer got Jesus to me. Amen. And then the choice was up, up to me. But that morning I started, I didn't know nothing about praying. It said in our text, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. God wants to hear from you. Amen. Amen. He knows everything about you. And uh, that morning he heard from me. And I wasn't taking his name in vain this time. And I said, Lord, if what that preacher said is true... I got bigger problems in prison. And I said, Lord, if what that preacher said is true, Jesus Christ died on the cross for people like me. And uh, if there's any way I can get in on this, I want to get in on this. Me and you both know I'm a sinner. And I didn't doubt what he said. I didn't doubt Christ died on the cross. I did doubt that he'd have anything to do with me. But what would mercy and grace be about if a sin could keep you from a Savior that died from your sin, for your sin? That morning, I asked Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me. I didn't know to ask to be saved. I didn't have any religion in me. I was far removed from that little vacation Bible school as a teenager. But I had enough sense to admit I was a sinner and ask for forgiveness. And I did. And I meant it. I didn't know nothing magic happened, no angels showed up, no fireworks. But I meant it. I can look back now. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it took a while for some of the bad habits and some of that stuff to to fall off. But what became new was a heart with a desire to do right. And he let me. Amen. 
So I got saved, and uh, a week later, I was offered a plea bargain. And if I'd plead guilty to the guns and five-year and the drugs two-year, the federal government would drop the 30-year automatic weapon charge. Well, that's a pretty good deal, considering I just pled guilty to the creator of the universe for all my sin. And when my lawyer threw that deal at, at, that was just to save the government money. When they gave me that deal, I said, I'll take that. I, I'll do seven years. I'll come out of this thing and, uh, at 46 years old. And, uh, and I ended up getting a bond. I was the first person in the history of the sixth federal territory to be granted a third bond hearing after being no bonded twice. And I was granted by a full-blooded Jewish judge. I was granted a $95,000 cash bond. And my people had it, and I got out. But I got out, I didn't go back to the clubhouse. And I didn't go back to the dope house. I got out on a Friday night and went to Red Lobster. I mean, a couple months in jail food. <laughs> Woo! And I never went back to the... <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, I remember telling God, I said, if I ever put that stinking devil's dandruff in my nose again... You have my permission to kill me. Now, he don't need my permission, but that's how serious I was. And I don't, somebody said, well, God doesn't work like that. I'm not sure if he does or not. I ain't taking no chances. (laughs) And little by little, he gave me victory after victory after victory. And on that Sunday morning after uh, two days, I'm out of jail two days, day and a half, I went to a little Baptist church, first Baptist church I was ever in my life, and I went in to thank him for praying. Amen. Amen. And I've uh, been trying to do right and serve God ever since. I got five years federal probation. And uh, they separated my gun charges, eventually uh, uh, dismissed it because they redefined use of a firearm in a drug offense. Uh, United States Supreme Court, December 6, 1995, Sandra Day O'Connor. Believe me, I know all the details. And, uh, and I got off probation. I did the five years probation. That federal judge sent me to 1,000 hours community service over five years telling other people how I got out of the gangs, how I got off dope, and how I got off liquor. And he had asked me for the federal record the same question. I said, Your Honor, last year I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And he said, Could you elaborate on that? I said, Yes, I asked him to forgive me of all my sins. And he changed my heart. And I stepped back away from the podium. That's all I had to say. That's all I knew to say. That's what happened. (laughs) And a full-blooded federal Jewish judge appointed by Jimmy Carter (laughs) sentenced me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for a thousand hours. (laughs) And that that cop-looking guy that came in and brought me the gospel, he put him in charge of keeping track of the hours. And we had a time. And then it came time to get off, to be released. And the scuttlebutt, even on the street or even in the law enforcement community. And later I found within some churches. Now that Spurgeon's not worried about going to prison, let's see what he does. Let's see if he goes back to the street, to the drugs. Let's see what he does. Listen, I didn't... I didn't, I didn't <laughs> I didn't start doing right because I was afraid of going to prison. I got more friends in prison than some of you guys out here. 
<laughs> I got saved because I was afraid of going to hell. Amen. Amen. And I was smart enough to understand I can't handle it. I'm here to tell you tonight, you can't handle it. I got off federal probation in November of 1996 and went full-time into evangelism, and I've been doing it ever since. Just what that judge did, telling people about the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Verse uh, 3 there in our passage, it says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Amen. He gave me a new song. You used to be born to be wild. <laughs> and other things. But now it's amazing grace. Amen. Now I'll wrap it up. I was 37 years old, almost 38 when I got saved. I wasn't a bad kid, just a little rebellious. Came from a good home. Got good grades, graduated from high school, even went to college for a little while on the, on the GI Bill. Served my country honorably, and I never in a million years I'd end up with a testimony like this. Let me show you something. Uh, somebody made this for me uh, years ago. And uh, so this is, uh, that's a banner that was made at a car show. And, uh, and I've talked to you tonight is about a gang member. And I've talked to you tonight about a dope head and a drunk and a professional criminal. And uh, that's the last thing I'd want to talk about. But uh, this is not, none of those things are what you're looking at there. You know what that's a picture of right there? That's a picture of a kid who grew up in church. That's a picture of a kid who knew better. That's a picture of a kid that just wanted to go have a little fun. Maybe take care of this, getting your sins forgiven later. That's a kid who wanted to be cool and fit in with the crowd. That's what that's a picture of. And we got people just like that in every church I preach at in America. I'm here to tell you, if you're saved, you're playing around with sin, it ain't playing around with you. It's setting you up. Setting you up for a fall. Amen? Somebody said to me, well, Spurgeon, you know, you did all that, and, and you know, it looks like you turned out all right. I got so much stuff in my brain, I can't even close my eyes when I pray. I did not turn out all right. I'm tainted goods, buddy. I'm glad to be saved, and I got nothing else to do. Then tell other people. People say, oh, you've been after this all. I got nothing better to do than tell other people about my Savior. Because what he did, what he did, I ain't never got over it yet. And if you're in here and you're not, if you're saved and you're not living the way you should, why? You afraid of what your friends might think? I'm going to tell you something. You need some new friends. And I know where you can find some. Amen? I've enjoyed meeting new young people the last three nights. What a joy it is. The Bible says iron sharpened with iron, and that's what, why it's so important that church is part of your life because it encourages you to do right. devil can keep you alone, buddy. He'll get you. And uh, if you're not saved, he'll keep you lost. And if you are, he'll keep you from 
ever having any victory and ever being a vessel like I preached that night, being a vessel meet for the master's use. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and uh, I've got a lot of regrets. And there, I got nobody to blame. I'm not a vi- the only thing I'm a victim of is bad choices. Probably about the same most of you. Amen. But uh, getting my sins forgiven is not on my list of regrets. The best thing I ever did. Amen. So uh, again, if you claim to be saved near and you're not living like you should, I'm here to tell you God's giving you another chance. It's time to sell out. It's time to nail this thing down. Yes. He's giving you a chance, just Amen. like He did me. And uh, you know, listen, that world will chew you up and spit you out and won't even ask you what your name is. I run into guys all the time. They think they're all about something. And I think back and I watched them come and I watched them go and I watched them go to prison and I watched them. I ain't going to say it. But the best thing you could ever do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ if you never have. And if you have, you need to find a place at an old-fashioned altar and say, here am I. What would you have me to do? I mean, if you haven't noticed, the ones of us that have sold out are probably having more fun than you and your crowd. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Somebody in there tonight might be in, uh, on a crash course. To a rude awakening. And my suggestion is to take a, the opportunity to change courses. Now, you're here on a Friday night. We're glad you're here and everything. But listen, just because you come to church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I read a sign, uh, I don't know, maybe it was Iowa, North Dakota recently. It said, uh, nobody's getting into heaven until Jesus gets into them. And that book says, Thou confess, shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confess. It ain't the prayer. It's getting a hold of the fact right here that your sin is going to put you in hell. And Jesus Christ went to the cross to make a way for your sins to be forgiven. Now, there ain't no better deal than that. Religion ain't got nothing to compare with that at all. And he made it a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. And then not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Don't you walk out of here with uh, eternal forgiveness offered to you. And you walk out wondering whether you can know if you have Jesus or not. Not here. Here. Nail it down tonight if you're not sure. And those of you that are and you're dabbling in the shallow end time to sell out. Time to get in. You listen to this preacher. You do business with God. If you know somebody in here tonight that's not saved and there's some in here you need to be praying boy. You need to be going to the throne of grace and beseeching God to, to move in such a way that maybe tonight would be their night. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. This city, this size, you know what? Tomorrow, the obituary is going to give names of people that stepped into eternity tonight that never dreamed they would. You got no guarantee you're going to wake up in the morning, but you got a guarantee where you're going to spend eternity. And it's based on what you do with Jesus Christ. 
And if you don't have the confidence that we're talking about, you better get it. And Jesus Christ made it free. Don't pass it up. Be still for just a little bit. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The Bible says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. Life is short. Life is short. It's here. It's gone. You ever, ever ask yourself, if you're not saved, what is it all about? Why am I here? What's the purpose of all this? The Bible says you were made in the image of God. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. When you die, your body goes to that grave. That life that God gave you, that spirit, that breath goes back to God. But your soul, it's going to go to any, it's going to spend eternity somewhere. That's the re- the soul's the real you. When he talked about going to hell, you know what goes to hell? The real you. It's got all the senses. That rich man goes to hell and he can feel and he can see and he can speak and he can reason and he remembers stuff from this life but he never got out. You know why? It's too late then. It's too late then. With with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask a couple questions. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask this question. If you're saved tonight, you know that your sins are forgiven. You know that Jesus is your Savior. God's your Father. Heaven's your home. 100%. Not 90, not 75. If that's you, raise your hand. Say, that's me. I'm a born-again child of God. Good. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. A lot of hands. Let me just throw this out there. If you couldn't raise your hand. First off, if you didn't raise your hand, thank you for being honest. And not lying and being religious and just doing what everybody else does. But if you couldn't raise your hand, you know what he said? Hey, here's the punishment. He said, well, why would a loving God send me to hell? Let me answer that for you, okay? He doesn't want you to go. Okay? But he is righteous and holy. He will not let heaven be tainted with what this earth has been tainted with. You know why we've got, we've got crime and you've got hatred and you've got rape and you've got murder and you've got all this junk on this earth. You know why? Because God says, I'll let you choose. I'll let you choose what you want to do. So he says this, all right, you can die and you can pay for your own sins forever if that's how you want to do it. But let me tell you, there's a better way out. He loved you enough to become one of you, become a a human being, be tempted, he never sinned. And he died on that cross and became all of the sin that we are, that we commit. He became all of that so that the punishment for sin would not have to be placed on you but rather it was placed on him. So, well, that sounds, I, I, I'll take that preacher. Okay, well, here's the one thing God asks you to do. One thing. Not join a church. It's not getting baptized. It's not giving the church money. It's none of that. It's real simple. It's you being honest enough with God and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. 
I'm not going to come up in here and go, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Yeah, but you're not as good as Jesus Christ. And that's the standard, you see? So God goes, okay, you know what? You're, you're not as good as my son. No one is. He never sinned. You have. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. But you said you love me enough to die for me. And if I was willing to ask you for the gift of eternal life, if I was willing to admit that I need you to save me, that you dying on that cross, shedding your blood and being buried for me and rising from the dead for me is all that could do, all that could be done to save me. If I'm willing to admit that, you would save me? You know what God says? Yes. Whosoever will, let him come. So I'm going to say this. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to be done in a moment. Well, coffee, dessert, all that stuff will go on. But if you're here tonight, you're not saved. I'm going to ask you this. Would you be willing to be honest with God and with yourself? Is there anyone here that says, I'm lost, preacher, but I'd like to be saved? I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to drag you down. But if you're willing to just slip up your hand and go, preacher, that's me. I'd, I'd like to know how to be saved. With no one looking around. If you're willing to do that, I'll tell you this right now. We'd love love to show you from the Bible what God says about you and how God put you here for a reason. But you can't find that reason without coming through Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight, you're not saved, here's all I'll ask you to do. In a minute, we're going to dismiss. We're going to go downstairs. And uh, you know what you can do? Grab me. Grab uh, Brother Jose. Grab Brother Sean. Uh, grab Brother Joe. Grab there's, there's people all over this room that can open up a Bible and show you how to be saved. I'll tell you what I'll do. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll head downstairs. I'll be the first one down there. If you're interested and you're serious about learning about how to be saved, I'll open up a Bible and show you how to be saved. We'll be waiting on you. We'll, we'll keep the lights on for you. How about that? Um, you don't want to miss out on that. And Christians, can I say this? Like, he's so right. What are what are we doing with our life if you're not living for Jesus Christ? See, some of you don't know me. I, I, I run with some people that make millions of dollars. You know what I know about them? They can't sleep at night. I, 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 that's what, I'm in the business world. I, run, I rub elbows with these people. They don't have a happy life, not without Jesus Christ. See, everything you're going after in this life, it's an illusion. It'll leave you empty if it's not, if there's no purpose, and you don't have purpose without God. That's what the preacher was preaching about. Christian, live for God. When the dust settles and you take your last breath, you will not regret living for Jesus Christ. Those of you that got saved in the last couple years and your life has been changed marvelously, and you're glad that you're living with purpose, would you say amen? Isn't it neat to see what God's done in your life in the last couple of years? It's awesome. Appreciate it, sis. Let's be dismissed and have a word of prayer. And uh, we'll ask God to do the best that he can to bless the cupcakes and the donuts and the cookies and the brownies and uh, all the sugar, all right?
I think sometimes we, we, we bow our head over food and God, would you bless? And the Lord's going, I ain't blessing that. <laughs> uh, but, but we're going to do it anyways, all right, and, and uh, eat in faith and have some good fellowship down there. But the offer stands. Uh, if you're here tonight and you'd like to be saved, well, I'll be down there. be waiting on you. If you want to go ahead and open up the Word of God. You can just beeline it before everybody else, and we'll get to it in the Bible. Open up the Bible and show you what it means to be saved. Um, it's been a blessing to be here tonight. Thank you, for bro- Brother Spurgeon, wherever you're at. Thank you for bringing the word tonight. And that's just plain preaching. I, like I said last night, it's funny how people say this Bible is so hard to understand. And yet the people that believe it and preach it, when you leave, you may not like everything they said, but when you leave, you know what they said. Right? That's a blessing. Um, been good to have uh, Brother Napier with us and uh, uh, Bible Believers Baptist Church in Wheat Ridge. All right. Pray for that meeting next week. All right. And uh, it's also been good to have Brother Jeff Laubach. Uh, from I just went completely blank, brother. I am just so sorry. The name of the ministry is Old Pass. I was going to say Open Door, and that wasn't it. Old Pass. Old Pass uh, Baptist Ministries, and I've uh, been a friend to our church. Brother, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer, we'll enjoy some great fellowship downstairs.